A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you've fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. This is an ode to Napa Cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa Cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa Cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. All right, so I'm joined today by my good friend, Doug Seacrest, who is the Vice President of Demand Marketing at Zenefits. He's done a bunch of super cool stuff in his life. And he's actually had a huge impact on my career and sort of how I've come to define myself as a marketer. And so it was funny when I asked Doug to do this, he joked about how much he loves to like talk. He's not that marketer who's like out there, like building his personal brand and promoting himself. Like when I think about Doug, he's like down in a lab somewhere building things. And so I'm excited to make him talk on this podcast. So Doug, you've held a lot of these really senior demand gen leadership roles at lots of companies. I'm going to start with kind of a weird question. When we talk about demand gen, sometimes it's like a little abstract. How do you define what demand gen actually is? Like if you had to explain it to someone's grandmother, how would you explain what demand gen is? First of all, thanks for having me. Super excited to do this with you. No, you're not. Don't lie. (laughs) Sure I am. But this is a funny one because I think we get this question a lot. Even if it's people who kind of get what we do, no one really gets it. And everyone kind of has a different approach for how they build demand and create demand. I tell people whether they're you know, in our industry or whether it's someone in an elevator, at its simplest form, our job is to find potential customers and convince them that they essentially need to buy our software. But I like to you know, elaborate on that and kind of compare it to the consumer level. So imagine you're buying a car. You research car brands and models online. You might go to a car lot, test drive your favorites, determine what's the best fit for your driving needs. And all those things along the way, a free trial, the marketing that goes into searching for your favorite model, we just apply that to business to business. Yep. You did leave out the part where then the car salesperson calls and texts you relentlessly every single day. Because <laughs> I just went through this last week and I was like, oh my God, stop. I will let you know when I'm ready. That's not our job. No, Leave no. that to the other folks. <laughs> the reason I ask the question is because I've found in my career as sort of a demand gen person, which I think you helped me to figure out that that's kind of what I was, it's pretty non-standard, like you said, right? Like there's a lot of like, you know, generally applied tactics and ways to go about it. But when you think about like how people plan and like what channels they use and like the types of programs they run, it's not like this standardized playbook where everybody does the same thing, right? It's like kind of all over the place. It is. It really is. So answer me this. 
when I think about you as sort of a demand gen leader, I definitely think you are a very, very left brain thinker. You're super analytical. You're very process oriented. You're really, really good with spreadsheets. Did you like wake up one day and you're like, I want to go into demand gen or like, what was your path to get there? I, I love to hear about sort of everyone's origin story. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny too. And this kind of dates myself, but I think back when I started my career in marketing, I was a copywriter, believe it or not. I got hired at a company called Ascend Communications as sort of a you know, copywriter writing data sheets. And they gave me this weird job that they at the time called field communication. So I essentially got to spend a lot of time with sales teams. And back then, like sales and marketing alignment wasn't a thing. Sales thought we were a bunch of idiots and we thought they were a bunch of like, cocky, you know, salespeople. And so we didn't really talk, but I became this sort of person that sat in between and they actually kind of liked me because I was the only guy that was like listening to them and representing them. And we created a program and so on. They invited me to their QBRs and their trips. So I kind of got close to sales. So I kind of got to learn what they needed and how they operated and what all the gaps were in their process. So long story short, my next company, I'm at a company called Zantaz, and I'm still a copywriter. But here, my job was to do RFP responses and help sales with proposals. And this was the early 2000s. And all of a sudden, this recession hit. And this business that was doing really well, basically, the phone stopped ringing. And the CEO came to me and said, well, you're the marketing guy. Like, Figure out how to make the phone ring. And so I quickly had to shift my thinking from helping write proposals and RFPs, all this inbound demand that was coming in that we didn't, you know, it was organic to like, how do we generate opportunities for this sales team? So I went to Dreamforce, one of the early, early Dreamforces, and I met Mark Organ and Rich Elves. They were presenting on this cool concept of marketing automation. And I like fell in love with this technology called Eloqua. And I bought it and, you know, all of a sudden I'm doing all sorts of really cool things and this company's actually starting to grow. We're finding opportunities, we're creating demand and that's really how I got into it. That's like the definition of a pioneer. Like you are a pioneer because until that time really, right? Like I often talk about this, but like before marketing automation, like everything you did was kind of a one-off. You built a list, you sent an email, you took leads and you handed them to somebody. Like there was no concept of this like integrated system where stuff flowed through. That's where demand gen became a thing, right? Yeah, it really is. The stories back then, it blew people's minds. Like when you showed them what you could do. Yeah, I remember sitting with my CEO at the time and he's like, this isn't real. (laughs) Like there's no way that someone's created something this amazing you know, digital body language and actually seeing what people are doing online. And like we were building early, early, like scoring programs to prioritize where salespeople spent their time. And back then, this is, you know, dating myself, but probably 15 or more years. It was some crazy cool stuff. And of course, you and I were both at Eloqua together. So you fell in love with the product called Eloqua, and then you went on to be a marketer there. And I did too. And I think, you know, It's crazy how much the whole industry has evolved. And it's really neat to think that we were kind of at the forefront of it. Think about the stuff you can do now. I remember like back in those those earlier days of Eloqua, like people were amazed by it, but also like terrified because it was marketers like weren't used to buying as much technology as they are today or implementing systems or process. I used to joke about this all the time when we were at Eloqua and we'd sit in like demand gen meetings. 
And, you know, it was all just like modeling and forecasting demand and metrics and numbers. And I was like, this would frighten a whole generation of people out of wanting to work for marketing because it's like not the marketing you think of necessarily when you think of the discipline of marketing, you know, that you learn in college and the three Ps and all that stuff. But I think like that's what's really appealing. And I know it is to you. What's appealing to me is being able to marry that right brain thinking with the left brain sensibility around, well, did it work? And how did it work? And how do you make this thing seamless and efficient and and all that stuff? I sort of love that. So uh, curious, I mean, you've had all these very senior demand gen roles at big companies, companies that were growing really fast and scaling, like, you know, where demand gen is really kind of the critical linchpin in terms of growth and, and pipeline and all that. What do you think are the key skills that make someone a really successful demand gen person? What do you need to have to be great at it? Yeah, so it's funny because like I, I really never fashioned myself a good marketer. And I still don't even think of myself as a marketer, so to speak. I mean, I sit in the marketing org, and, but I was never educated. I never, you know, I didn't get my degree in marketing. I never spent a lot of time on sort of the traditional sense of marketing. But what I've learned over the years is to do this role successfully, there's a few things. First and foremost, you have to be driven by numbers. You have to be math-minded. You have to have a bias toward achieving something, achieving a goal that is numbers-oriented. And you mentioned this, you have to be extremely process-oriented and analytical. More of what we do, the, the left brain stuff, I wouldn't say it's more important, but it's got to come first, right? You've got to, to be a good demand or growth marketer, you've got to build and enforce process, create alignment, and then the creative stuff comes, right? And, and so once you have a foundation and an operation that can actually handle demand, you know, then you can start doing cool campaigns and, you know, testing different things. But I, I think the other thing I've learned over the years is to really, to be a great demand gen marketer, it's actually about surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you or have a skill set that you don't have because there's all sorts of different things that there's no way one person is going to be able to do. And I think that's where like you and I were a great match at Eloqua because you brought a lot of the skills I didn't. And what I'm seeing, you know, as I've, I've grown in my career, you got to hire way over the spec that you're looking for and go hire the best people in their functional area. You're right. And it's funny because, again, like I didn't come to Eloqua thinking I was this very left brained, you know, analytical marketer. I came thinking I was more of a traditional marketer. And then, obviously, in that environment, you're forced to flex that muscle. And the more I did that, the more I liked it. I still think I tend to lean more to the right, but like it's all on a backbone of this very sort of left brain operational process driven stuff, which, you know, I'm a little OCD and I like organizations. That makes sense. And I just like to see things work efficiently. And I really do think that that's what demand gen's about is like efficiency. Not always necessarily in terms of, oh, this was the most cost-effective thing we've ever done. But like, you know that when you create something, you know where it goes, you know how it gets touched, you know what happens next. Like you can always triage and police all those things. And I don't know, for some reason, I just, I love that. So it's a good segue, actually, because you just talked about surrounding yourself by great people. So like we talked about this at the beginning, like demand is like kind of a non-standard saying people approach it in different ways. And I think that's true of org structures as well. And I've definitely played around with this a lot. But I'm curious if you've hit on like a team structure and org structure, certain roles that you need to have or don't need to have. What's your philosophy in terms of building teams and how you approach that? Yeah, good question. I used to think, you know, there was kind of a 
playbook for how you build a, a demand gen team. And, and I, you know, a few companies ago, I would take that playbook and sort of the same PowerPoint chart, you know, with an org structure that I wanted to go build. And, and what I've learned is it, it really depends. It depends on your go-to-market strategy, the, the audience you're serving and, and the skill sets that are going to be the best fit for what you're trying to accomplish. You know, one thing I'm pretty consistent about is at a growth company, most of marketing should be in demand. Yeah. Like there's not a tremendous amount of need to do brand building and communications and PR and stuff like that. There's the vast majority of marketing when you're trying to scale and grow, it should mostly be in demand. And then obviously you need things like product marketing and stuff like that. But that typically represents maybe 10 to 15% of the, of the team. What I've seen over time though is, you know, you've got your core performance marketing, content marketing. I think 10 years ago, there was a debate, does that belong in demand or not? And I think it's clearly something that belongs in demand. Things like sales development, you know, traditionally sat in sales. I think especially the more like transactional you are, sales dev is really a function of just converting demand into an opportunity for a salesperson to work. Unless you're like super ABM focused and really small TAM, you want your SDR team to be high velocity, transactional, you know, and they're just essentially qualifying what you're bringing in. So it typically works better in demand. I think, you know, recently the things that we've seen moving into the demand org are, are more things like data and analytics, like a, maybe a centralized function that used to sit in product or IT. That's moving into demand. And then even depending on the software you sell, but things like, you know, growth engineering and having engineers that are actually, you know, able to build product and tools that you're going to use to go to market. So that's, you know, I think it's transforming and there's a lot of new capabilities that we get to leverage. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've been talking a lot about brand lately and I actually do think demand gen even if you're not investing explicitly in brand, like demand gen, especially in a growth stage company, is often the touch point for all those buyer interactions. And so like that's your opportunity to drive whatever and reinforce whatever that brand promise or story is, is actually through your demand gen process. Yeah. And it's like, you know, so it should be kind of wrapped up in that if you don't have a separate function for it, which a lot of B2B companies don't have. I think like real brand building, like that's, you know, big, big, big company stuff. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. Let's talk about sales and aligning with sales for a minute. I know that demand gen, successful demand gen, I've seen you do this very artfully, like partnering with sales and like, what if you walk into a company, because I know this is true for a lot of people, and it's just like, they don't get it. Like the sales culture doesn't get it. Maybe it hasn't had a strong demand function before. Maybe you're trying to pivot or grow it or transform it. And you've got to align with sales, but maybe they're skeptical or reluctant. Like what's the key to success there? I think it starts with joining a company where sales gets up. It's always hard to turn a sales leader or a, a sales group that's narrow-minded or a certain way of thinking. So like I always do a lot of due diligence to make sure that team is going to be willing to work with us and is going to be aligned to an operating model or plan that you know we can build together and execute together. So I think it starts with making sure you join a company where sales is going to play ball and probably where it can be more of a marketing-led you know, go-to-market strategy versus a sales-led go-to-marketing strategy. 
but you know, at the end of the day, it starts with your operating plan that you all agree to and you buy into, and then an operating rhythm where you're meeting every day, every week, and whether there's a shortfall in leads or a conversion issue or a close rate issue, it's a joint problem to solve. It doesn't always have to be friendly. Like there should be some healthy debates and things like that, but everyone's got to be aligned on the plan itself. I mean, I've said this a million times, but like the places where I've seen this work the best is where it's really a top-down mandate. Like this is how we're going to grow and this is how we're going to do it. And everybody gets on the bus. And I think what you're saying is kind of like, well, don't join a company if they don't believe in this because it's not going to work. And I I kind of agree because I've seen that happen. Unless at the highest level of the organization, you believe this is a lever for growth and this is how you're going to go about it. It's really hard to manage up if that's not the case. I get that. So a couple things. Talk about how you set goals for your team. Is there one key goal that you're always aligned to? Like, how do you think about goal setting? Even if you work in an org that like doesn't do like company-wide goal setting yet or something like that, I've always been a fan of having some specific goals for the marketing team. How do you handle that? I kind of break it into a couple of different buckets. Obviously, at the end of the day, it's all about ARR and growth and whatever the operating plan says, the, the model that gets you there. Those tend to be the core goals. So your core funnel KPIs, like conversion, velocity, volume, pipeline, all the leading indicators, like those should be, I'm a strong believer, they need to be daily goals. And I've always said, you know, you miss a day, you miss a week, you miss a month, you miss your quarter. And it's really hard to catch up, especially in a high velocity business. So those are the leading indicators that I think the entire marketing team or demand team should be driven by and very familiar with. But then I think you start breaking that out into how do you drive volume? And you do that via you know your paid channels. You do that via content marketing. You do that via a variety of different ways. And so each of those functional teams need their own aligned goals. So if you're in content marketing, it's product page growth through your SERPs. It's organic traffic. It's growth in subscribers. And then if you're in sales development, it's more about speed to lead and activities and meaningful conversations and all that needs to be very visible. And, you know, everyone's got to be driving to the the things that are going to move the needle on a daily basis. It's just like how you keep the train running. And obviously, I think your perspective is interesting because you've done long considered like enterprise marketing things, but you're in a very transactional business right now, which I imagine really kind of changes the cadence and the focus on those daily goals, like you said, because you can't miss a day. Yep, exactly. All right, a little lightning round here. If you had to get rid of everything in your tech stack and you could keep like three tools, what would they be? Gosh, that's tough. I think the things I'm excited about right now, Gong is one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time because it really helps us understand our customer and shape our messaging. And it's also a great coaching tool. Drift has been amazingly transformational for us. And I think it's not just because it's a bot, but I think what Drift is starting to do is allow us to control much more of the buying cycle and buying process and be really consistent in how we talk to customers. You know, and I think finally we're at a place where things like Sixth Sense are actually, it's starting to work. So the intent data, the ability to orchestrate channels and teams aligned around a predictive score or a intent signal, it's really promising. So those would probably be my three. Do you think there's a world in which marketers can live without a marketing automation platform? Or is that like, look, that's table stakes and you have to have it? I think today it's table stakes and it's kind of been commoditized. If you don't have it, you're probably not a real marketer. 
but I think it will go away, you know, and I think things like Drift could replace landing pages, right? You know, if, if you can interact with someone on a page, why have them fill out a form? Email, as we all know, it's kind of a necessity, but who actually reads their email or responds to nurtures anymore? Jeez, maybe Drift should sponsor this podcast. <laughs> I know, maybe so. And last question, I mean, and you just actually kind of just hit on it a little bit, but like, Demand gen as a discipline has been very evolutionary, right? It's like from, oh, hey, we have this platform where we can own all our own data. We can do these things. We can see what people are doing and to things like predictive analytics, to chatbots, to, you know, AI driven, you know, target account selection, all that stuff. Like, what do you think is going to happen in the next couple of years? I mean, you just talked about maybe like, it, you know, dissipating role of something like marketing automation, but any other sort of big predictions for where we're headed? I think actually what we're able to do these days is we're moving further into the buying cycle. So we're, we're giving buyers the power. And this is something we've been talking about for a long time, 10 years or so. This was a big message at Aliqua, but we're now actually at a place where it's really happening and there's really technology where we're becoming more consumer-like. People can go do their research online. They can interact with a bot that's going to answer all their questions. In many cases, you know, you can buy software without ever talking to someone. So I think we're actually transforming sales more than demand. And I think, you know, at some point in the future, the sales role is going to continue to be less and less strategic. And it's going to be more of a support role where you're just assisting someone in their buying process as opposed to solution selling and you know some of the more traditional ways of going to market. Yeah, like giving the buyer more ability and more tools to pull rather than you pushing all the time. Yep, exactly. I definitely agree with that. Well, I feel really honored that you joined me today. I know it's hard to get you out of your lab, you know, you're like <laughs> a mad professor down there cooking stuff up. But I know that you're among the like pioneers of this discipline and probably the smartest demand marketer I know. So I hope that got to take a little look inside your brain here. If you ever get the chance to like see Doug speak or talk about stuff, it's one of those mind-blowing experiences, but it doesn't happen very often. Thank you so much for joining me today and maybe we'll do this again sometime. Thanks so much, Al. It was a lot of fun. <laughs>